0: we are here we are in your ears and you have decided to listen to us and we cannot thank you enough Pack show again today top news hawkeye recap an interview with frothy our final spider-man review check out the time codes to get to where you want to be let's get
1: it truth is we need new heroes thanks for the lesson this is the way in my culture i am a jedi i am burdened with glorious purpose
2: we're all villains here
1: not us united i'm a superhero
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Direct Podcast. It is Spider-Man week. I am your friendly neighborhood podcaster, Matt Rimke, joined as always by my co-host, coming to you from Syracuse, New York, the content machine, Liam Crowley. Liam, we're wrapping up your senior year-ish.
2: Kinda. How are we feeling? I feel so great, Matt. I feel so great. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I got... I finished my major today, fun fact. Congratulations. Finished my capstone class. Thank you very much. Uh, I got three more finals to do that will be spread out between today and Monday, but Spider-Man comes out next week. Mm -hmm. Hawkeye episode five is being touted as something really special and that's next week. I cannot think of a better immediate reward than finishing the most taxing and difficult semester of my tenure so far than just reveling in Marvel content. And I'm just feeling good. I'm excited to be on this microphone with you today.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's an honor to be here with you on this big day of yours. Once again, congratulations. That's always a big thing. My senior year, I was told five months before graduation, hey, you take this one other class and you can graduate in May and not have to do summer classes again. Like So like I went into January of my senior year thinking, okay, I'll graduate in August to... Hey, you do this and graduate in May. And like, I talk about this a lot. If you could take obligations being canceled, that, that split second feeling when you're on your way to class and you read the email saying, class is canceled and you turn around, that feeling when you turn around, if you could take that, put it in a pill and sell it, You'd be a multi-zillionaire. So I sympathize, relate, and I'm so happy of the feelings that you're feeling right now.
2: The, f- the phone call in elementary school when you're panicked getting ready for the bus, snow day today. Yeah, oh, back ticker. to bed.
0: The fucking ticker when you finally see New Palestine, Indiana pop up.
2: Yeah. And you're like, oh, oh
0: my yeah. God, today just got real. You're I to get to watch
2: direct. Justice League Unlimited for eight hours today and not have to worry about class.
0: Exactly. Two episodes of War Meets World played last night. Let's get it. Let's get after it. You know what I mean? It's good stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, the direct podcast, everything you need to know about the universes you love. We have a couple show notes to talk about before we dive into everything you need to know about the universes you love. I'm trying to really make that a thing. You know what I'm saying? Trying to make that our uh, tagline a little bit. Um, first of all, Spider-Man No Way Home, if you haven't heard, comes out this week. It's it's unbelievable to think about. We're here. You know, we are within seven days of seeing Spider-Man No Way Home, which just blows my mind. Um, because of that, as is the direct podcast tradition, we will not be talking about any Spider-Man No Way Home news today. There's been a handful of things that have come out over the past seven days We are going to push all of that to the Spider-Man No Way Home primer episode. That is our, every movie, every show, we release a a primer bonus episode where it just catches you up on all of it you need to know heading into that specific project. So no No Way Home news today. Um, So check out the primer. It drops on December 12th, which is uh, this upcoming Sunday. On top of that, because Spider-Man No Way Home is such a big deal and because so many people are going to want to, talk about it directly after seeing it and because there's so much hype surrounding the in game of spider-man movies we are going to be shifting our release schedule the week of spider-man no way home next week episode 64 will drop on december 15th so our weekly is coming back to wednesdays baby we're back we are back on wednesdays and i love that um so make sure to look out for the weekly episode on december 15th Probably going to be a shorter one just because, you know, it's so close to this one. Not as much news will come out. Be prepared for that. We'll do a fun draft. It'll be a good time. Um, And then our No Way Home review, Spider-Man No Way Home review will be December 17th, the day it releases worldwide in theaters. So excited. We will probably just ramble for a couple hours about how much we loved or hated it, which is going to be really exciting. Um, And uh, I assume at least 25% of that episode will be looking forward. Do you agree? most
2: likely <laughs> isn't that wild <laughs> we're gonna spend half the runtime on the post-credit scenes alone yeah.
0: we both know this yeah well well that's exactly what happened with the turtles and uh i don't think it happened with black widow as much but Ji, for sure mm-hmm. you know like a lot of the show is dedicated to the post-credit scene very excited thank you guys so much we will be tweeting all that information out over the next couple days just to make sure everybody's caught up but weekly episode episode 64 next wednesday no way home review next friday Uh, December 15th, 17th, Respectfully, let's dive into the quick question. Let's get there. We didn't get there very quickly, but Liam, uh, we got two this week. Shout out to the hammer seven for dropping one, a great sweet note, um, about the show, which we always appreciate and love. Trust me. We read every single word. Um, your question is amazing. I'm going to push it to the end of the year mailbag. It's a great, like 2021 roundup question. We're going to do a big mailbag at the end of the year. So the hammer seven, we will get your question out at the end. It's about superhero fatigue, Liam. Can you believe it? Can you believe oh, it?
2: <laughs> I feel like that was our first, uh, our first direct discourse topic, or one of the early ones. Yeah,
0: here we are 15 projects
2: later
0: <laughs> within a year. Um, yeah, no, so the Hammer 7 will be answering your question at the end of 2021. But our quick question for this week, K-Master, he's back. The boys. Always. Always back, and we're just going to break it down right off the top. He says, what's up, fellas? Big announcement from Feige about Daredevil. This week, where do you see matt murdoch fitting in the bigger mcu for those who don't know kevin feige our lord and savior kevin feige gave an incredibly uncharacteristic answer in an interview with cinema blend and he said the next time we see daredevil it'll be played by none other than charlie cox retur- confirming the return of charlie cox as daredevil who played matt murdoch in the netflix daredevil series k master's watching the series and he just doesn't see how this daredevil fits into this mcu can he lead a project being the same daredevil he was in the netflix series liam i want to hear your thoughts about charlie cox back in the mcu as mac murdoch as daredevil how does he
2: fit into this amazing universe Well, first off, I want to know why Kevin Feige revealed this. Because it's by design. He always, there's always a reason. There's a reason he confirmed this, you know, uh, two weeks before No Way Home. And we likely all see Charlie Cox in that movie and confirming the rumor that's been around for almost a year. But where Daredevil fits into the greater MCU, Matt, we talk about it all the time, how the MCU, the one big narrative that they build to, the Infinity Saga in previous phases, it's kind of becoming like two or three. We have everything going on with Val really encapsulating all the Earthbound stories. We have everything going on with Kang really encapsulating all the multiverse kind of stories. And then we have shit going on in space that we're going to find out about in Guardians 100. 3, Thor, Love and Thunder, etc. But it does seem like with Hawkeye specifically, I'm really getting married to this idea that Kingpin becomes the Thanos of the street level heroes and you only see him every now and then so that when he does get elongated scenes it really means something and I think you can really build a street level universe around Kingpin as the big bad and then bring in your street level heroes to really flesh that out I think Daredevil is a is a major player in that front do I think he gets his own solo project I think popularity will tell but for now I would say unconfirmed I think he'll have a big presence in She-Hulk I think he'll have uh, a big introduction in No Way Home I don't think he's as big of a player as like a doctor strange or any of the multiversal villains but i think that same way that ant-man and the wasp got greenlit only after paul rudd's ant-man was so popular we'll have to wait and see to see how charlie cox translates to mcu audiences because believe it or not as popular as the netflix daredevil show is there is not necessarily unanimous crossover between the two i have friends who watch daredevil who don't care for mcu movies and vice versa because it's a different tone. It's a different style. K Master mentions on the question, he doesn't know if that tone and style can translate to the MCU. It will have to be watered down to fit into the confines of the Mickey Mouse universe that is the MCU. Like We get dark and gritty on occasion, but for an entire project, I don't know if we would get a Daredevil season four as traditional as we got in the Netflix show. So I'm excited to see him back. I'm excited to see more of these characters. Obviously, D'Onofrio as Kingpin is the Rumor of the century right now that's going to get confirmed in the next couple of weeks or debunked in the next couple of weeks. Who knows? Everyone's always begging for John Bernthal to get back with the gun and everything as Frank Castle, Punisher. So I think it's only a good thing that these Hugh Jackman, Robert Downey Jr. level actor character pairings are getting the chance to shine once again, because you're not going to beat the MCU in terms of a playground.
0: And Cox as Matt Murdock is on that level. Downey and Iron Man, uh, Jackman and Wolverine. Um, I'm thinking of. I'm trying
2: to think of another one. I would even go Evans as Steve Rogers. I'd go up there. Really? Maybe yeah. on the outer circle a little bit. It's
0: not as obvious. I mean, uh, uh, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. It's another great one. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I, I love Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock. I'm so excited he's coming back. I couldn't agree with you more that I think it's going to be um, these, these divisions of the MCU are going to be kind of spearheaded by their big bads. Um, yeah. what's interesting is, you know, I, I agree that Val has kind of the Avengers tie up a little bit. I don't know. All we've seen is Falcon winter soldier, as far as Avengers go, you know what I'm saying? So like Shang-Chi, you know, didn't reveal any big bads that the Avengers are going to play with, um, so I, I do think that MCU Cosmic is going to have their whole thing going on. The multiverse side of things, Kang, that's going to be a whole different thing happening. And then uh, the street-level MCU, I really hope, is led by Wilson Fisk. And and all the projects kind of revolve around whatever that centralized story is. Um, what's interesting about Daredevil and the MCU, it being Charlie Cox and how excited we all are. Because I am, I mean, unbelievable as Matt Murdock. Unbelievable John Bernthal as Punisher. Unbelievable D'Onofrio as Wilson Fisk my question and it's been my question for a long time I'm excited that I have a different character a different project to reference it right other than Spider-Man No Way Home if this is the same Matt Murdock from the Netflix series does that eliminate the possibility of telling the stories that have been told in the Netflix series Electra the hand Iron Fist Luke Cage Jessica Jones uh we got a bullseye run in uh Daredevil. Um all these different iconic Daredevil stories that have already been told. Is Elektra no longer on the board? Is the hand no longer on the board? You know, are are are, are we gonna be handcuffed moving forward because these stories have technically already been told despite not having that MCU wrapper on them that we all love? These are the big questions I have going into No Way Home. Does having Will Willem Dafoe back as Green Goblin eliminate an MCU uh, Norman Osborn, you know, and, and even if it doesn't, does it water it down? Does it, does it mean, do, are we going to get lines along the lines of, like, say Charlie Cox in the MCU runs into the hand again? Is he going to say something like, yeah, I've dealt with these guys before? Is that going to water down any origin story of such an iconic Daredevil adversary in the hand, Elektra, etc.? Hey, <laughs> um, uh, so that's the concern that I have. I can't wait for Noah home to answer that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I really hope that I, I really think that we're going to have some answers here in the next week. So that's really exciting. But as far as Charlie Cox coming back to the MCU and where he fits, I think of T'Challa. He's not the quippy slapstick hero that Iron Man, Spider-Man, Thor, now Cap at times can and have been. The MCU is a combination of great storytelling and heart, right? That's that's uh, who, who said that? Was it Snyder? Yeah. Zack Snyder said it would be silly for him to try to build a universe around amazing storytelling, action movies with heart. He needs to do something different because the MCU is doing that and they're doing it better than anybody else. I don't think T'Challa, Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace. I don't think his performance is that classic MCU, like, hyper charismatic everybody's drawn to him you know amazing dialogue character i love t'challa as a character don't get me wrong it's more his story than the the charisma of t'challa as the king of wakanda i think charlie cox can bring that similar thing where it's t'challa's passion and his drive and his moral code that makes him a great character not his charisma like so many other mcu players charlie cox's same deal his moral code his his uh, <laughs> His just innate ability to think that what he thinks is right, which is can be a flaw sometimes. It's the Batman thing. Um, I think he can play a huge role here. His supporting cast is where I think we're going to get a lot of that MCU dabble. You know, We see that in Black Panther. We see that in Shang-Chi a lot in a lot of ways, even though upon second rewatch a month or so ago, uh, Shang-Chi has a lot of charisma as well. So um, I'm excited to see where he fits. I don't think he has to be and mcu matt murdoch to fit into the mcu i think he can be a very unique and distinct thing but to fit in the mcu it's his supporting cast that really uh brings that flavor home
2: um if you don't have anything else i, I just want to give a quick quick shout it. out as you bring up shang chi real quick Simu Liu, action movie star of the year at the people's choice awards this year incredible beating out scarlett johansson the rock vin diesel john cena Huge accolade, very proud of Shang-Chi already getting some uh, hardware on the shelves.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, he so deserved, you know, just the the surprise of Simu Liu. Like, all the other names you named right there, you know, Scarlett is the highest-paid actress of all time, right? Like, that. like, The Rock is popcorn. That's what he is. And Literally. for Simu Liu to come out of nowhere and save theaters, I'll keep saying it, like, mm-hmm. myself, in fact, he saved the theaters um you know couldn't be more deserving shout out to me Liu. shout out the shang chi team um shout out brad allen rest in peace you know the stunt coordinator on the film um you you did it man you fucking crushed it um let's move on to all your top news from all the universes you love ladies and gentlemen boys and girls and everybody around the world this is a (laughs) real
2: In a recent social media post, Captain Marvel herself, Brie Larson, revealed a clever new logo for the Marvels. The co- combining the icons from her, Monica Rambeau, and Kamala Khan's suits driving home that this is a three-lead movie. And with some rare Ant-Man news, Geeks Worldwide
0: reported that Corey Stahl, who played Cross in Ant-Man 1, would be returning to voice Modoc in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Scott Lang of Anthony lily and company are
2: gearing up for a packed rose gallery in the three. Rounding out the Marvel news this week in a recent interview with Collider, Kevin Feige revealed that the Disney Fox merger did not change the timetable for the multiverse in the MCU. With the X-Men and Fantastic Four now on the roster, Feige is handling this great power with great responsibility.
0: See what you did there, Liam, that was really good. And moving forward with the blue brand, it is confirmed that Colin Farrell, yes, Colin Farrell, who is playing Penguin in Bob Pattinson's The Batman, will be getting his own spin-off series on HBO
2: Max. And finally, in news from a galaxy far, far away, Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins has reportedly exited the chair on Gal Gadot's Cleopatra biopic to focus on her upcoming DC and Star Wars projects. Friend of the show and Falcon Winter Soldier director, Kari Stoglin will be taking on the role of director for the Cleopatra movie.
0: And for more information on everything you need to know about the universes you love, make sure to check out thedirect.com. What
1: about the people in the back?
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that is com. Um, A lot of some crazy news going on. Some big announcements there. Um, I want to start with Patty Jenkins because I just don't think we can lock down this story. I think we've got it wrong on this show. I think we've got it right on this show. I think what we got wrong was actually turned out to be right. Can you help me as the journalist of us? What's going on
2: with Patty Jenkins and Star Wars? It sounds like she just needs to get her ducks in a row. Nailed it. There we go. Because she has so many big projects that she's taking on at once. It is very rare for a director, regardless of their size and stature in Hollywood, to dive into three different major budget blockbuster movies kind of at once. Even the Russos, when they were getting Infinity War and Endgame, those were shot back to back and those are those both Marvel movies with the same character. Cleopatra, you got to expect somewhere between a 100 and $150 million budget. Rogue Squadron, Star Wars, Massive, Wonder Woman 3, kind of a prove-it movie after Wonder Woman 84. Gotta be the end-all, be-all for that franchise and really drive home what made us fall in love with that character and that franchise back in 2017. So I'm glad that she is condensing her plate because taking on too many things at once is gonna naturally divide your brain and lessen the quality of everything. When you try to do multiple great things at once, You're probably going to end up with, at best, good across the board. Uh, Shout out the Game of Thrones writers who were mentally planning their Star Wars movie during season eight. And that's why season eight sucked. And then they didn't even get to do their Star Wars movie. And it was a loss for everyone. Fans, directors, you know, you know, Benioff and Weiss lost and then Game of Thrones fans lost. It was worse for us. Trying to do a Bruce Banner there, you know, worse for me because I lost twice. (laughs) <laughs> Point is I think it's a, a good idea for Jenkins to kind of you know take a step back, focus on her two big things, the Passion Project being Rogue Squadron, and the ending of her franchise that put her name on the map with Wonder Woman 3. I what's the opposite of a shout-out? Um a blacklist? Call out? Like shout out, you give him props. Like
0: Yeah, what's the opposite of that? Like
2: uh, <laughs> Boo.
0: Yeah. Boo. We're going to give that. a boo to uh, George RR Martin. Did you hear he came out against spinning off and Weiss? He says, yeah, I don't like how they edited it, bro. Write The damn books then. <laughs> like, like you aren't allowed to say you don't like how it ends when you're, yeah, my ending is going to be way better. Yeah. You have so much in front of you to learn what not to do, bro. Like that's not fair. I'm, I'm not agree with you, George RR Martin, despite how rich and powerful you might be. I will not be silenced by these these authors who are criticizing these showrunners for how they're handling their properties. I will not do it. Patty Jenkins, just make Rogue Squadron great. I want it. I want it so bad, and I want you to do great in it. I want to cheer for Patty Jenkins, and Rogue Squadron is my most anticipated Star Wars movie, and I say that because I don't know what other Star Wars movies are coming out, you know, like, like all we we have names, but we don't have any titles or nothing. Um, uh, let's move over to Marvel. We don't talk about them enough. I think we should talk about them a little bit. Um, I loved Kevin Feige's response here. Um, just to clarify, he was asked if the Fox X-Men Fantastic Four merger with the Disney and the MCU, if that made them say, Oh, we got to get this multiverse thing going because how else are we going to get these characters involved um he said that it did not change the timeline at all i believe him when he says that i think if you had asked me if i thought that it sped up the process a little bit before this quote came out i would have said yes based on loki you know kind of rushing is not the right word but man they were quick with it when it came to getting all that multiverse stuff into that show episode one even um So I'm excited to hear him say this. I'm excited to hear him say that they're going to take it diligently because if you read the full quote check over the direct.com, we have a great article on this. Um, He goes into just how when you introduce the multiverse in the comics, it's the most powerful storytelling tool that there's ever been. And they use it so much. And a lot of times they use it really well. Other times they don't use it well at all. Um, And it's such a big thing because it is so powerful. You have so many options and avenues and opportunities to do things that you never thought you could do handling that diligently handling that with patience is what his most prime priority here and patience and execution is what built the MCU. And I'm excited to see them really just develop how they're going to bring these characters on slowly, because I think that, and we'll talk about it when we talk about Spider-Man far from home. at the uh, end of this episode, I love the long-term plans that I am seeing in these movies and with these characters Because we've seen in game. We've seen what payoff looks like and feels like when it does take 11 years to get there. We've also seen Justice League, where it just kind of feels a little more empty than um, what we wanted it to be. And just a little bit of emptiness can really just take over your opinions on a project. So um, I'm excited to hear that. Just because they got all these new toys, they're not gonna open them just yet. They're like me with comic books. I'm excited to read Secret Wars, but I'm not gonna do it until I get up to where I need to know everything I need to know to read that
2: story. Patience, planning, execution. That's we we, we coined that like in the in the single digit episodes. You know mm-hmm. that's that's how long we've been praising Kevin Feige for everything he's done. Uh, the Fox Disney merger went through in March of 2019, two months before Avengers Endgame came out. And that movie had already shot Loki's escape. So they were planning this Loki show way before pen uh, to paper was signed and and contracts were done. Another thing, too, is Kevin Feige has very much stressed in past interviews before this one that he had a five year plan post uh, Avengers Infinity War Endgame, Infinity Saga as a whole. And he wasn't going to compromise that to force in, as you mentioned, the new toys, you know, like. There's a reason why we haven't seen Mutants, at least even name drop. There's a reason why we haven't seen the Fantastic Four yet. It's because it didn't fit in the five-year plan that he had set a couple years back. And we're getting very, very close to that five-year plan ending soon. I believe it'll be sometime in 2023. And it'll kind of perfectly kick off with that Fantastic Four movie uh, directed by John Watts getting into the next phase of the MCU. Not exactly sure where phase four ends and where phase five begins i'm sure that's going to be concrete for us in probably a couple months maybe a year or so but either way i I really respect this structure of planning from feige because it's so tempting us as fans we've been begging for x-men and fantastic four and at san diego comic-con in 2019 when he goes ah we didn't have the chance to talk about mutants or the fantastic four we were like we want more we want more and it makes sense that you're holding it back. Because even though the MCU, I think I've seen up to 2028, 20, they have like tentative plans, but they're not going to concrete anything and set anything in stone this early. They're going to maybe do the first five years in advance, but they're leaving uh room open to kind of shift things around. We're seeing that right now with Spider-Man. I mean, I know we're not going to talk Spider-Man, but no way home was originally a Craven the Hunter movie before the opportunity came up to make this a multiversal adventure. They don't set stuff in stone because they want it to be flexible. I just like that they're not forcing anything in. If you'll allow me to make a quick wrestling reference, Tony Khan head booker of AEW has been asked a lot about why isn't CM Punk and Brian Danielson facing off against these dream opponents? And he's like, I just signed them. I got them in August and September. If I blow all their dream matches in the first 3 months, then I've wasted their potential. Why not wait two years down the line to see CM Punk versus Kenny Omega. The same thing with the X-Men characters and Fantastic Four in the MCU. Why force them in the second the ink dries when you can really delve out what you're already winning with? And then when you've already had a perfect season, now we have the X-Men. Now we have the Fantastic Four. It's genius. But Liam, I want it now. Me too, Matt. Me too. But, you know, they're under the tree. You got to wait till 1225. If we...
0: Blow our load with X-Men in the beginning of phase four, we don't get Shang-Chi. We don't get Eternals. We don't get these interesting, deep, fluid characters where you look at Shang-Chi, surprisingly amazing, right? Like we never thought that it would be both of our favorite movies of twenty twenty one, but I believe that's where we are, right? Right behind No Time to Die for me. MCU movies, but yes, no time to die was awesome. We haven't talked about that movie yet, have we? A little bit. No, you
2: mentioned it in your weekly Rex one week.
0: Very good. Um, but yes, so in favorite MCU movie, Shang-Chi, neither of us expected that. Eternals, while um, definitely wasn't my favorite, but I didn't hate it, it got me more excited for those characters than I ever imagined possible. You know what I mean? Like, And if you just hit us with all the things we know we're going to love, the Spider-Man No Way Homes of the world, where it's got a baked-in floor just because of the characters involved, you don't get these interesting projects that we're getting, and I love that about the MCU moving over to the DCEU, trying to quickly do what Marvel's doing. I guess <laughs> <laughs> I mean I don't wanna I don't wanna put something in the dirt before it even gets out of the water, but I can't help but to feel like announcing that Colin Farrell as the penguin is getting a spinoff series before the Batman even comes out. I can't help I can't help but to feel that is somebody at Warner Brothers being like Marvel's doing shows. We got to get shows going. We got to get people excited about our shows right here, right now, right when. Tell them that we're doing a penguin show. So that so maybe they'll be more excited about penguin when they go into the Batman. That's just not how it works. It can work. I'm not saying it's impossible to make that happen and make us make the penguin, you know, somebody we're excited about for a show. You wait until we see him in the Batman. You you make us want a Penguin show and then give us a Penguin show. That's how Marvel's done it. They have it other than Echo, which Echo's the first one. I think we talked about this on the show. Echo's the first character I can think of that got a show announced before we even met him or her. That, that opening scene of Episode 3, Liam, did you understand why? Yeah, we talked about it. Did you get it? <laughs> yeah. Do you think that Penguin's going to have that kind of appeal in the Batman?
2: Yeah. I'm going to drink the Kool-Aid on this story. I think all all your concerns are completely valid, but Penguin is a character in the comics that has the Kingpin-like mentality. You can build a whole underground crime universe around uh, Oswald Cobblepot, and I think having an actor like Colin Farrell, lock him down. Lock him down as soon as you can, because if he gets sick of the role too early, then you lose him and that character forever, and I think that I don't know if this is considered a DCEU project because I really don't know where the Batman fits in. I love the idea that they're kind of building a cinematic universe around the Batman. As far as we know, this is a separate project from the Gotham Police Department show that we're going to get. And we also have a Batgirl situation going on with J.K. Simmons, but I guess that's more in the DCEU and the Batman is kind of its own thing. I like the idea of branching out Robert Pattinson's uh, Batman movies and making series and all that around them. Is it too much too soon? We just genuinely don't know. We, we need to wait until March to see this movie to see if it is any good. But if it is as good as the trailers just make me and Matt feel, I think we're going to be okay. So I understand that this is very much catch up, maybe even a little reactionary to all the buzz around the Disney Plus shows. But I'm here for it as of right now. Like milk your properties that are hot because they haven't done that in the DC worlds.
0: I, yeah, I'm excited for Colin Farrell's Penguin. I really am. I think he's going to be great. I, I hope he has a small role in the Batman, if I'm being honest. You know what I mean? I hope he's like a secondary, even tertiary antagonist in this one. I hope that um, the other two really get more of the shine. And that makes the series much like Peacemaker. You know what I mean? Like hmm. second, third, fourth, most important character of that movie. Can't be more excited for his show. Um, we'll see. I If this isn't DCU, then is this a second cinematic universe? Like, did you hear the Rock's quote the other day?
2: About the hierarchy of power. No, <laughs> um, change,
0: yeah, 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 uh, you know, that's good, it's good for him. Um, but uh, no, he said that he's sure that Black Adam will face off against Superman one day, he just doesn't know which one. Doesn't that suck? <laughs> doesn't that yeah. suck that we just don't know who the Superman's gonna be when the Superman things happen? Like, it just blows, man. But you know what doesn't blow, Liam? Hawkeye. Hmm. You know what's awesome, Liam? Hawkeye. Hawkeye. You know what we're about to talk about? Haw- Hawkeye. Okay, let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, Hawkeye, episode four, partners. Am I right? Am I right? Love that. Great title. Great show. This show just keeps on being more awesome than I could ever expect every single week. And I can't wait to talk about this episode, episode four. We just have two episodes left. Gearing up for a big finish here in the home stretch. Liam buddy pal friend guy hawk guy what'd you think of episode four of hawkeye
2: i thought it was fun i thought it was fine um it it was a good episode i enjoyed it but not as good as episode three and i think that this was an appropriate change of pace someone on twitter was pointing out how the episode fours in at least the six episode disney plus series is because not the case whatsoever for wanavision episode four that was the cold (laughs) open right with monica rambeau
0: yes uh uh, uh they are very on, much hold on, about- hold on let me let me
2: try remember the episode title um i forget that was a bad interruption by me i'm sorry go ahead either way though like now since i think about it that was a change of pace episode like yeah. four across the board when it comes to marvel disney plus shows is a change of pace episode and this did take us in a new direction it slowed things down a little bit we had more conversations less action and i was here for it you know this was an episode where I was hoping things would calm a little bit before the storm that is next week between everything they're hyping episode five to be and just No Way Home in general. And I think this episode delivered what it was going for. We mentioned in previous weeks, uh, Hawkeye is not reinventing the wheel any week. It's not doing anything too crazy. Just it does what it's going for so well. It's, mm-hmm. it's the perfectly, uh, the most perfectly executed series I can think of so far. And I really hope it continues over the next two weeks. And I am very excited to talk about details about this episode. Absolutely. Um, I love this
0: episode. Um, I agree that it is a step back when you talk about just like excitement from last week. Last week had a lot of very exciting moments, along with probably the best emotional moment of this uh, show so far with the uh, the, the phone call with mm-hmm. Nate. Um so the combination of those two things really hit. This one was definitely more of the phone call with Nate than it was the excitement of episode three, but I think it really nailed that in a lot of ways. It did a lot of, it did a lot of work to emotionally set the stakes going into the penultimate um, along with and, and you know, this is something I never expected from the show, so many open threads with so many different mysterious you know, what could be happening here, what could be happening there. And they all seem to really organically be heading toward the same spot, which is really awesome, something I'm really excited about. Um, there, there was just so much in this episode that got me more invested than I was last week. And I was already so invested. And I think that's a lot of great work. We, uh, baseball analogy, we're going to bring it back. I talked about with WandaVision. Um, it's one of my, (laughs) it's one of my most proud takes ever, uh, because I said it in the primer when in baseball, when you close your eyes and you take a big swing, you could strike out and it's going to look really bad. But if you get a hold of it, that thing's going and it's going to go very, very far. And that's exactly what WandaVision ended up being, was a huge swing, a huge risk. It could have fallen flat so easily, but they kept making contact, and the ball just kept going further and further and further. Um, Hawkeye, I think, has a totally different vibe here where they aren't trying to swing as hard as they can. They aren't trying to you know, really, like you said, change the game in any way. Um, they're not trying to show us something we've never done, but man, are they driving this ball into the gap. Every single time. They are getting on base. This is the on-base show. Wanda Vision was the home run. This is your batting for average. This is your guy who's gonna steal second. This is your guy who's gonna make every single solo home run a two a two-run bomb. And I love that about Hawkeye because it really just encapsulates the character that is Clint Barton. You know, he's always been that consistent, I'm there for you kind of hitter. And I think the show is a reflection of that, and I'm really excited about it. Let's dive into it, let's talk more as we go into.
2: Spoiler, 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 spoiler,
0: spoiler, 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 spoiler. 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 Love it! spoiler, love it, love um, it, Liam, mm. a lot going on in this show, um, this one really um, all over the place wasn't the right word, but we got a lot of different story beats hit on in this show, which was exciting, let's talk about first where the show starts off, the Bishop family, um, Eleanor Bishop specifically, what's going on, man? She's like, she's like, I. she's had very few lines of dialogue. You know what I mean? I'm trying, I'm trying. She's really not in this show a lot, but every time she's in this show, I think she takes a huge leap into the sus list. Um, shout out Robbie Fox. You know, really just gets me more aggravated every time she comes on screen. She's gotten me to the point <laughs> where not only do I think she's the bad guy, but I hope that Jack isn't the bad guy. And I hope even more, he's not just not the bad guy. He's just an idiot. (laughs) And he just doesn't know what's going on around him. And I love him for that. (laughs) I love Jack in this episode. But let's talk about Eleanor Bishop. Where do you think she's going with the very casual front backed up by a very suspicious behind-the-scenes thing?
2: I think that she very much is tied to the bad guy. I don't think she is the bad guy. Sure, and sure. I don't know which one she's tied to though because I, everyone talks about Kingpin being the big bad and I do think he gets a similar reveal to Kang in the finale of Loki or uh, from our Walking Dead fans out there, when Negan first shows up after 15 episodes of this guy's bad news, this guy's bad news, he's our boss and we're not gonna like necessarily name him. he walks out of that trailer and he just goes we piss in our pants yet boy am i feeling about that we're going to be very soon and he's just like he's jeffrey d morgan he's sinister he's menacing i think we're going to get something very similar with uh kingpin that he's not necessarily the overarching villain of this this season but he is being set up to be an overarching villain of multiple different stuff uh multiple different projects going forward i do think that eleanor bishop has a significant tie to the season villain and I was not expecting to go in this direction, but shout out a uh, longtime listener, Dylan Bressler, who pointed out to me on Twitter, who's she on the phone with? All of a sudden, Florence Pugh shows up. JLD, Val. She got connections to whatever's going on with the Thunderbolts. Like she's got friends in high places clearly, and it's clear that she uses them for nefarious means. I'm willing to bet that uh, Eleanor Bishop and Bishop Security has a much bigger piece to play, not just in this series, but in the greater MCU. I thought it was kind of odd when you got a caliber, uh, an actor of the caliber of Vera Farmiga to play the mom of one of your main characters in the show. The more she becomes sus as the weeks go on, the more I realize why they wanted to get such an A-list talent like her in what on paper seems like a throwaway role. But the more we watch this show, the more clear it becomes that she might be a bigger piece to this bigger puzzle that I didn't realize Hawkeye was piecing together.
0: It's it's just crazy because, you know, there's so many different elements of the big bad. Obviously, there's the uncle that we all assume to be, Wilson Fisk. There's, you know, the Tracksuit Mafia is an organization within their own. We assume Wilson Fisk is at the top of that, but Jack Duquesne's involved. You know, we saw it in last week's episode, that he is the, at least on paper, CEO of a front for the Tracksuit Mafia. So there's Wilson Fist and Jack Duquesne as two, you know, potential unrevealed big bads. And then you throw in Vera Farmiga here, making that phone call for his peak shows up. That not only brings Eleanor Bishop into the fold, but also Val. And so that's four different characters that could be playing a larger antagonist role than being presumed. And, you know, Obviously, we want to see Wilson Fisk, but he's probably not an integral part to the things happening in this show. You know, I think he's above that. Um, You know, nothing against everything going on in Hawkeye, but I do think he is the, you know, they've talked about it in this episode where, you know, he doesn't like attention. Does, you know, he he's expecting someone to handle this. Is it Jack? Is it Eleanor Bishop? Is it Val? You know, is Val working for Willie? Like, you know, there's so many different avenues here. And I think Vera Farmiga brings such a creepy um, tone to it. And I say creepy because... I've kind of fallen in love with her and Kate's relationship a little bit. Like, I believe that Kate really does. She's worried for her mom in a very genuine way. And all these signs are pointing to Jack being the bad guy. So she has reason to be worried. But, you know, it's going to be really heartbreaking for Kate to figure out that Eleanor's behind something here. You know what I mean? That's an emotional weight for Kate that not only is it going to be shocking when it happens on screen, Kate has no idea to be prepared for that. She's She's worried about Clint's emotional shit right now. She has no idea what's coming. You know, like, her biggest thing is my mom is marrying a murderer. What happens when your mom is that murderer? Like, that's really going to hit her in a big way. And um, I'm excited to see that. What do we think of the the scene where, you know, Jack kind of has a face turn here a little bit. And, you know, we get to see him and Eleanor and Kate kind of be a family for a second. Um, Charming, for sure. But, you know, do you think that that is kind of doing a double red herring, kind of make us, you know, get us off Jack a little bit before maybe bringing him back into the fold in a negative way? I,
2: I just don't know what to think anymore because um, I kind of want to pitch it back to you real quick. Are you disappointed that Jack and Clint don't really have a prior relationship in this series adaptation of the uh, Matt Fraction run?
0: No, I'm not because I trust that the MCU is going to find a way to make it creatively awesome. Um, I think... The, in the Matt Fraction run, it, for me, it wasn't so much they had a, a relationship, it was that they were trained by the same guy um, mm. in whatever they were doing. I don't think that's the move here just because Clint's a you know, trained Shield agent, but um, I think Jack Duquesne having some sort of um, you know, lore behind him that Clint's familiar with, that'll itch that scratch for me.
2: Okay, fair enough. Um, and I do want to see more of him because we haven't really fleshed out the sword skills aspect from either episode one or two. You know, he's hiding something, what's going on. He had the candy that was specifically embroidered with the family name at the I'm scene. In the third of oh, seven. Of seven, exactly. Um, I, I, I want to know where he links into all of this. And Eleanor being as suspicious as she is, I wonder if they're both up to their own weird stuff and it's separate from the interests of Clint and Kate, but at the same time, the timing of the phone call just seems to line up too well. It's, it's like this show is like beating us over the head with the twists, but I'm just not willing to buy into them yet because they seem exactly. so obvious and the MCU is usually never obvious. And at the same time though, if they are obvious in this case, I don't think it's a bad thing. Predictability is not necessarily a bad thing. You can expect something. We expect Toby and Andrew to be in no way home. Does that mean it's going to suck? No, it's going to be freaking awesome because it's something cool. If Eleanor is the bad guy here or has ties to the bad guy and we were all expecting it, I think it still could be cool. Unless, of course, uh, the, the one you know, rotten egg in that example is uh, Sharon Carter, power broker stuff, very lame. Obvious from the jump lame execution on the reveal. I hope this goes in a different direction.
0: And I think the difference uh, we're going to get here, even if it's like the same plot wise kind of vibe where, I don't know. I don't think the general audience thinks that Eleanor Bishop's a big bad. I think, I think we all think she's up to something, but I don't know. But um, I think the difference here is Vera Farmiga and Haley Steinfeld are going to act the hell out of that. When that reveal happens, you know, that's going to be awesome to watch because those are, I mean, obviously Vera Farmiga is Vera Farmiga. She's been doing this for a long time. She's, you know, she has a franchise surrounded around her in uh the conjuring. So I think that she has the chops to bring whatever they have for her to the table, um, in episode five or six, probably five. Um, but, but Haley Steinfeld coming off of her with that, I think it's gonna be an electric scene. I think about I'll bring it up again, uh, Wanda versus vision, right before um Pietro shows up in WandaVision, you know, when they both kind of float Stop up. Stop lying to me. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like those, those are two unbelievable actors giving it. They're all in a very contentious situation. That's what I'm hoping to get from Kate and or the bishops uh, moving on to another mother in this show. Another mother, hmm. um, somebody who's been in the MCU since 2015, somebody that all of a sudden has more intrigue and mystery and um, suspicion. I'll even say surrounding her than ever before it's linda Carlini's laura barton clint's wife um i do have to say off the top i can't be completely unbiased here because linda Carlini was responsible for Corey DePega breaking up in boy meets world and that's something i cannot forgive ski lodge lauren you know you you flirtatious little thing you know uh natalie dormier from game of thrones that was that was linda Carlini in boy meets world um <laughs> But so not, though. (laughs) Um, She she is seen in this episode, um, obviously, talking back and forth with Clint. um, Liam, we we praised early in the series how cool she was with everything. You know what I mean? Like, ah, the tracksuit guys. I hate those jerks. You know what I mean? Like, she's on the team just by association. Um, Very Pepper Potts and Avengers kind of vibe. Um, But this time, she's doing spy stuff. She's looking up things for Clint. She's, you know, doing info. She speaks Russian at one point and she has an incredibly, it seems, tumultuous interest in this Rolex that uh, everybody seems to be looking after. What do we think about Laura Barton, and what do we think this Rolex could mean for the Barton family?
2: I mean, I think it points to her having a superhero role, at least in the MCU's past. Um, I'd love for her to she's still reprising her role as Velma in the live action Scooby-Doo movies and Clint helped her escape mystery incorporated because bad people were after her but now if, if we're being realistic I see the the key word being tossed around on all the socials Mockingbird seems to be what everyone is pointing towards and I think that would be really dope it's it's a way to have Clint's relationship with her have so much more of a cool foundation that they're both agents and she wanted out and he provided an out for her um, and was able to let her like bury her past whatever this Rolex is I do think it, it is connected to her specifically I don't know how or why or, or why it's getting resurfaced now and why it was at the Avengers compound and whatnot there's so much going on and the delivery of his line when he says um, about the Rolex it, it's from someone I used to work with and my mind immediately was like, oh, okay, Tony Stark, because I feel like his name was thrown around with the watch before, but now, like, someone I used to work with, you know, he's not lying, same way how he's, like, wasn't lying about his family in 2015's Age of Ultron, just kind of, you know, leaving it um, mysterious. And vague. I don't have a girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, I this is a reveal that I didn't expect to happen in this series, but I'm very intrigued and I hope it opens the door for a um, flashback scene because I'd love to see Hawkeye doing Hawkeye spy shit in a pre like Iron Man era of the MCU. I love going back to that weird middle ground of the world is pretty modern, but it's before we meet our heroes. And I'd love to see Mockingbird and Hawkeye on a mission in like two thousand and five that'd be so sick
0: It'd be sick. It'd be awesome. um I really hope that something like that happens. It definitely seems to be Laura Barton um you know something with this watch is going to reveal her as a former shield agent, which, as you know a theme of this show, you know you can't just bury your past. you have to deal with it and um you know that's something that seems to be coming in in a, another sense with laura barton i I have a question for you. Have you seen? anywhere anything about runtimes for these last two episodes anything about runtimes you said yeah because like if we're going to get a flashback scene which has to be how they do this right Mm -hmm. it has to be you know them you know flashing back to Laura Barton as Mockingbird in one way shape or form I think I think that's what they have to do that's a lot you know it's probably not a short one it's probably gonna how long do you think these last two episodes are gonna be
2: I'd say in the in the 45 to 55 range.
0: I think it's got to be closer to that 55, you know, because they've mm-hmm. been coming in at 40 pretty consistently. And I think that, I don't know, man, the run times with these shows have really tripped
2: us up in the past. Well, a big thing for me is there's two different angles of the flashback scene that I look at and both come from the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the two Bucky flashbacks. Him as the Winter Soldier, kind of an elongated action scene, but really only lasts for, what, two and a half, three minutes? And then Bucky the- and Wakanda... That cold open, I believe, maybe a minute 30, minute 45. Like, they move through these. And what they usually do with flashbacks is rather than show you a full scene, they show you a snippet of it. And you fill in the blanks, the rest yourself. So I think we could get something of her kicking ass. We don't see her face. She turns around, makes eye contact with Hawkeye. Title card plays. Some, something simple like that.
0: What if is a part of it? I, what I, if it's I, Laura and Natasha working
2: together? Uh,
0: Dude. Dude.
2: Or I think the I more would likely. Cry. The more likely option I think cuz she's already in the show Florence Pugh. Yelena. Yeah.
0: Oh, oh, make Laura Barton a Black Widow. Make Mockingbird a Black Widow. That'd be sick. I don't know. This watch is all over the place again. Like this show has doing is doing such a good job we have no idea what's gonna happen. We really don't. We have no clue. And it's like sneaky, we don't know. It's not like obvious. Like, yo, know, what's gonna happen? It it's just it's just there's no clear endpoint, but all of the all of the threads leading there are also clear. Um, moving on, you know, it's going a little long here. Uh the Christmas movie marathon scene. I think this is the climax scene for this relationship between Clint and Kate. Um, a lot of awesome conversations. Uh, you know, the boomerang arrows. Yeah you know, we'd have all these arrows, you know, come back to us. Yeah. They'd be coming at us. You got to dodge them, you know, a little bit. Love that the quarter trick, Um, you know, can't do a dime. Dimes too light. Um, You know, this whole scene really does, you know, just dive into this relationship a little bit and highlight the stakes. Like I said, emotionally, what was your favorite part about this whole montage?
2: I loved the reaction Clint gave when, when Kate finally got the quarter trick because it was yeah. the exact same reaction he gave in Endgame's cold open, you know. ha. nice shot. Hey, nice shot, Hawkeye. You know, like yeah. his little slick slick dad Clint Barton. I love that. And I love him embracing the mentor role because he knows like like a lot of great leaders and role models, they know that they're good at it, but they just don't want to be it. They don't want that responsibility. Because what sucks is for role models and mentors, we we see it in the MCU all the time. That responsibility also comes with what happens if I fail. That's going to hurt so much. And Clint, I feel like, is like, I'm not a role model, not just because of Ronan, but because of how I lost Natasha on Vormir. And him having the pushback, despite him being the best fit for the job in terms of leading a new aspiring hero, to see him embrace it even just a little bit, and then immediately push back, which we'll talk about very soon. Is awesome and it another reason I said it in one of our earlier reviews for Hawkeye. Please stop making me fall in love with these OG characters. Like I I need to make room for new ones. The rookie class this year is so strong, and all of a sudden Clint Barton low key might be in my top five of characters we've seen on screen this year, which is insane. Oh, and I love it. I wish we had a video podcast. He's showing off his. His six OG Avengers, pop Funkos, and they're all colored to an infinity stone. It's epic. Badass. And what's um, what's the what's the board it's on? Is it embroidered with anything?
0: No, it's not. I wish it was. There's stones on them though. Okay. Yeah, which is cool. Do they glow? No. I'm gonna get lights. I'm gonna get lights to put behind them. Um I I I couldn't agree more that they're just doing so much to make you care. In such fun ways and it's bonding and then you know they really do the roller coaster thing where they bring you up and then we're having fun and you know mele maliki laka like you know like it's it's holiday stuff and then it drops into the roaning conversation and um you know what's the best shot you ever took the one i didn't take i mean come on dude come on you can't beat that and uh you know i want to ask you about this scene but i want to point out real quick the use of music here um, when they're talking about uh the Ronan thing and the when he met Natasha, the Black Widow theme plays. It's very cool. And then when he's having those flashbacks, um and later in the episode when Kate is falling off the side of the building, Vormir mm. theme plays. Yep. It's great. It's wonderful. I love how they did that to emotionally bring us in on a um auditory level. Um the, the Ronin reveal here I think was done so well because I, I, I really like when characters in shows and movies aren't stupid. Kate has been with him for four straight days, asking and learning about Ronan through various means. She figured it out. It wasn't, it wasn't, oh, what? Like, she figured Mm -hmm. it out. And I like that. I like that she uh, had that approach to it.
2: Yeah, I love that too. I love the Ronan reveal being not this grandiose moment, specifically because we're going to get so many of those in five and six that getting a reveal that's so obvious a la Power Broker feels like don't don't set it up to be something big when we know it's coming. So like, I like the idea of it it being subtle, it being a key checkpoint in their bond, their relationship, like Kate discovering this and her being okay with it and Clint, you know, reconciling in her with like, here's why I did it. Like I, I was in a dark place and all that. I think it was great. I thought the execution was, very commendable, and it was the perfect last beat before their relationship kind of fractures.
0: Yeah, I I think it's I think it's just another just an another point on the head of, you know, Kate knows that Hawkeye is a superhero because he inspired her. He she doesn't need anybody else to tell her that Hawkeye is a superhero. She knows it because she feels it. And he was a superhero to her. That's why she cares so much about his branding. She wants other people to see what she knows about Hawkeye, and that you inspire people. And it's another one where Kate's, you know, preaching that to Hawkeye, and he's like, "No, I'm not a superhero. I was a weapon. I was a tool. I did my job. You know, don't glorify this. You know, don't glorify me for doing my job, which was a nasty job. Um, I love that. I love that theme that they keep bringing on. And I just have to put it back one more time: superheroes drinking. Love, it. love it. Definitely vodka in those, right? You got to imagine. 100%. Love that. Make these people human. They drink. I love it. something about it. You know, when they did it in the Falcon Warrior Soldier in uh, uh Madripoor, when they're all in Sharon's apartment, and they're all just yucking it up a little bit. I love that scene, and it's awesome.
2: I love these with the eyeball.
0: Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's wonderful, dude. It's good stuff. Oh, yes. Yes. The Viper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good, man. Awesome. Moving on really quick. The LARPers came back. Did you think they were coming back?
2: Yeah, because of the featurette that got really, oh, well, <laughs> like I know me. that's like a logistical rationale uh, deduction there, but it, it was cool to see them back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think they're a fun group. I like that they're all just kind of staying at Kate's aunt's house. I think, <laughs> you know, I like that they're all just hanging out there. Um, something we talk about a lot on this podcast is costumes. Um, and suits and how people get their suits in the MCU. We've gotten to a point where if somebody just shows up with a new suit. We're going to start asking how and why.
2: And it's somehow made out of nanotech.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. Um, uh, Central Park, New York City LARPers, creating your superhero suit. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the guys you want creating your suit. You know what I mean? Like they're going to make the best suit out of anybody. And I love that. I can't wait to see what they come up with. That's going to be an awesome end of episode five, heading into episode six, Captain America, uh, Falcon, Winter Soldier type vibe, where we finally get the Hawkeye suit, whatever it ends up being. And the LARPers were the ones who made it. Can't wait. It's going to be awesome. We talked about the Rolex already. Last thing, Liam, I'm going to let you go off this rooftop fight. Um, Love, hate, um, so much going on. Um, I I, I like the – well, who am I fighting? I think that bit played off well, but you go off. What did we think of our 2v2 match here? Or I guess 2v1v1.
2: I loved this scene so much. Yeah. For everything you kind of set up right there from, from Kate going into the apartment, walking through the front door, kind of sneaking around, thinking like, oh, you know, I got this. Like, you know, I, I've I've been here before, right? Like, I got some experience, and in reality – you don't know shit. And that kind of comes in at the end when she's snooping around. And not only does she see the picture frames and she realizes she's in Maya's apartment, but that list of Clint's family's kids' names is Very always terrifying. terrifying. Don't threaten someone's kids. Like that chills me on a like spiritual level. When, when uh little Kali, uh, Kali Morgenthau, the flag smashes when she's on the yeah. phone with uh, Sam Wilson's sister And she just names uh, Sam Wilson's two nephews. Terrifying. It doesn't matter that she's a teenager, early 20s kid who looks like she wouldn't hurt a fly. Mentioning someone's kids' names and realizing that they're looking into you is terrifying. Mm -hmm. Then the fight scene happens. I love the 2v2-ness of it. Flashing back and forth or cutting back and forth between the two. And we all knew it was going to be Elena. We all knew. But the reveal still hit so well and we talked about the visual uh callback to vormir which i thought was done excellently because clint in that moment it's very evident if it wasn't already that he cares about kate and seeing her almost meet the same fate as the person closest to him that happened in canon like 18 months ago
0: mm-hmm.
2: sets in that trauma once again and when yelena reveals herself jumps away the line that got me and i don't i don't think we've talked about this yet but i've talked with my friends about that this there's such a subtle way that a character within the MCU significantly put over another franchise meaning you know hyped it up made it gave it validation without even intending to it's the tone of voice he says someone hired a widow This just got very serious. I'm getting chills just hearing that because Clint Barton, as tenured and as experienced as he is, getting freaked the fuck out that a widow is now involved in this what looked to be a jobber mission. The tracksuit mafia. He thought this was a joke. Oh, it's going to take me a couple days. A widow's involved now. And as far as we can assume, he must know her tie to Natasha. This all of a sudden makes Black Widow on another pedestal. It makes the Red Room on another pedestal. It makes all the freed widows that are scattered across the globe that we saw in Shang-Chi, we saw on the map in Black Widow at the very end um, in the Red Room and whatnot. It elevates them to levels hitherto undreamt of, if you'll allow um, That's my one per episode. I loved this scene for the action for the visual callback, but for the subtle tonal delivery of shit just got real.
0: If I could verbatim it for you, Um, somebody just hired a black widow assassin. This just got very real, very fast. So good. It's so good. You're right. It's amazing. Um, I think about the people who didn't know that was going to be Elena. You know what I'm saying? Like that was probably awesome. That was probably fucking awesome. You know what I mean? I can't wait for Aaron to watch it. She's going to love it. She's going to lose her mind. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see Helena interact with Clint and Kate in this next episode, because it's just going to be, there's going to be so much learned in that conversation that they have. And I can't wait for it. That's why I hope this is a longer episode, but ladies and gentlemen, that was Hawkeye episode four next week, the penultimate, this is going to be, you know, we talked about it up front and I just kind of want to reiterate it. This was a really good job taking the excitement and the hype from episode three, dialing back just a little bit just to kind of get us reset we talk about that a lot in these uh disney plus shows we talked about it a ton in mando um where you know they would just take episodes to kind of just everybody take a deep breath reset realize where we are and what's important and what the pieces are going forward end it with a great action scene big reveal we're moving into episode five running you know i mean we're going to hit the ground running um help me figure out what was the last scene of this episode was
2: it on the roof I believe so. And Clint telling Kate to like get lost essentially. Like he's got to do this himself.
0: It's four episodes in a row now. They have picked up right where the last episode uh, left off. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Episode one ended with, a, come on, so good. Still the best one mm-hmm. of the show. Um, episode two with, um, I'm having a hard time here.
1: When they were, oh, uh, Echo, Echo reveal.
0: Episode two was Echo went right into Echo. Episode three was Jack. We went right into Jack. So I think this picks up on the rooftop. I don't know where it goes. You know what I mean from there. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's going to be interesting going into next week. See if they do a flashback. Maybe just kind of reset us a little bit. But another thing I'm excited to see play out is the something we didn't talk about. The relationship between Maya Lopez's Echo and her number one henchman, Kazi. You know, that tension, there's a lot going on there. This is a family dynamic that is so different than the Kate Bishop and Clint Barton stuff because this is turmoil. This is Fra wanting to do what's best for the team and Maya possibly being a little uh, selfish here, using the team for her own revengeous reasons. And, you know, who better to talk about all that with than the actor who plays Kazi himself. Ladies and gentlemen, our exclusive interview with Fra Fee. Matt Rimke here, and I'm sitting down with the hot guy who knows sign language, Kazi from Marvel Studios. Hot guy, <laughs> Fra, Fee, Fra, thank you so much for sitting down with us today.
1: That's a pleasure, buddy. How are you?
0: I'm doing all right. Left foot, right foot. Getting through it. Um, <laughs> we gotta, we got to start with the tracksuit mafia, all right? Such an iconic and hilarious group from the comics. You guys have brought them to life with way more depth than I ever thought you would. This show's all about family. You know, and you seem to carry that with the tracksuits and also with Maya Lopez. Kazi is her translator, and they seem mm. to have known each other since they were kids. What's the unseen backstory between Kazi and Maya that brings that family dynamic together?
1: Well, um, I'll be forgiven for saying this because I believe one of our writers uh, tweeted about it, but Kazi is actually at the karate class where Maya is there, where Maya is there. So they do have a very long history together. And they have found themselves in this surrogate family, you know, the TSM. Um I I suspect that it means a lot more to Kazi, uh, the TSM. And it's mm-hmm. only until Maya's dad is is um is killed that she that uses their manpower to to try and seek revenge. The TSM is extremely important to Kazi. It's it's his life foundation, it's all he knows. So whenever Maya manages to find herself above Kazi in the pecking order, that's a tough pill for him to swallow. Um, But at the same time, they have this past together and he's loyal to her. There are, he has, he has, he has, um, there are, there are feelings of, of respect and care and loyalty to her as well. And that's where the real, um, dynamic is really interesting. He's, um, he's been dual, dual loyalty.
0: Yeah. It's a lot of layers there. And that's what this show has. There's a lot of things going on. obviously Clinton has has his stuff kate has her stuff the tracksuits have their own thing going on there's this mysterious uncle figure that everybody's talking about um you know that's a lot to unpack with only two episodes left but let's make it simple if you could in <laughs> one word in one word describe episode five and six for the fans
1: uh mental
0: mental <laughs> It's going to be insane. I love that. It's, it's, um,
1: it's mental, yeah. <laughs>
0: that, that's all we're looking for. That's all we're looking for. There's A ton of new projects coming out, including yeah. an Echo spinoff series, something that Kazi is obviously going to be very interested in. So with all these new projects coming out in the MCU, building the streets of New York corner, where do you want to see Kazi show up next after
1: Hawkeye? <laughs> he should have his own show. <laughs> yes. The Kazi uh, show. I don't know. I think that Kazi would be thrilled to be in Rogers the Musical at yes. some point.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and you have all that stage experience. I think it would really pay off.
1: It's an obvious, an obvious choice. He said, That's yeah, it
0: uh, Were you tired of the word bro by the end of all of this? That's the last question yes. I have. Yes. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, bro. It's great. Thank uh, you so much for sitting down with us, Fra.
1: I really appreciate you. Cheers. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you so much, Fra Free, for sitting down with us. It was great to hear the insights on Echo and Kazi in Hawkeye. I cannot wait for episode five, but for right now, Liam, we're at the end of a road here. Wow. Our final Spider-Man review heading into Spider-Man No Way Home. We have watched the Kobe Maguire trilogy. We have watched The Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. We saw Spider-Man Homecoming. And now we end where Phase 3 ends. Spider-Man Far From Home. Spider-Man No Way Home is projected to pick up right where this movie left off. So this is literally right into the biggest spider-man movie of all time liam this is a hell of a movie for so many reasons it's a spider-man movie it's an avengers movie it's a epilogue it's 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 everything there's a lot going on here we're gonna dive right into it our three big takeaways liam what is your first big takeaway from spider-man far
2: from home i have positives but i'll get into them later I'm going to kick things off with how I felt immediately after this movie ended. My first time watching it, actually, since I saw it in theaters July 2019. I believe the same thing for you as well, right, Matt? Uh, yes. Yeah, so it, 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 had been a, it had been a minute, and not that I, I looked on it with rose-tinted glasses, but it sat fine in my my middle of the pack MCU, and I thought it was a fine installment. Spider-Man Far From Home, in my opinion, kind of mid, not going to lie, It felt like a placeholder movie. Now, since I know where we're going with No Way Home, I don't think that this movie did a a ton for, compared to other middle-of-the-pack movies, sequels. Cap, Winter Soldier, uh, I think about. um, even, Even Iron Man 2, advancing Tony's relationship with his father. I think that this did a lot for Peter Parker personally, but where this movie ends... I wonder if you really need to fully immerse yourself in this movie in terms of the bad guy reveals his identity. And that's that. I I, I just didn't love this movie as much as I expected to upon a rewatch. And there are things I love. There are things I really like. And I don't think it's overall bad per se. But I think it's kind of, like I said, mid, right in the middle of the pack for good reason.
0: Yeah, um, I... I agree that watching it on rewatch after two years of not seeing this movie, I was a little let down by how excited I thought I wanted to be. I think a lot of that is the fact that we have been surrounded in Spider-Man for the past three months, Uh, particularly, you know, the other movies, when we see things on Twitter, like clips or GIFs or whatever, um, you know, we're like, yeah, you know, we've seen those movies a bunch of times. We know what that is. Whenever I see a Spider-Man far from home thing on Twitter before this rewatch, I was like, man, I forget I forget, you know, these things about this movie. I agree. I was a little let down on rewatch compared to my first time seeing it, but um, I think a big part of that might be because we watched Homecoming last week, and this is a huge step down from Homecoming, and that's not at the detriment of Far From Home. the fact, that Homecoming is a top five MCU movie, and um, so I think it's hard to it's hard to follow that up. You know, it's it's hard to follow up Iron Man. It's hard to follow up The Dark Knight, and I think Homecoming is in that echelon of. Uh, superhero movies especially for first ones um i think something that really leans into what you just said right there is this movie has the unfortunate task of doing two movies at once where it is a sequel to the homecoming it is a spider-man movie there are spider-man things happening and it's setting up no way home so i'm gonna say three things it's a sequel to homecoming it is a huge setup to no way home. And that sounds obvious. Like, of course the second one's going to set up the third one. It's doing that looking back. It's doing that so many different ways here. Um, but also it has the unfortunate add on that no other movie will ever have of this is the movie that follows up in game. This is the movie that has to answer a lot of the questions people have walking out of the theaters on April 2nd in 2019. I think that, I think that that is something that people overlook here that, you can kind of look at Infinity War Endgame and Spider Man Far From Home as its own little trilogy because this is very clearly an epilogue answering questions about, well, who's going to be the next Avenger? What about the blip and all these different things? What is life like post Endgame? This is a showcase of that. And I think it does that well. I think it does the Spider Man thing well. And I think it does the sequel thing well. But doing all three of those things well might just not allow any of them to be great. Um, or, or above great, I guess. There are great moments in here, sure, but I don't think any one plot device is uber great like Homecoming where we gushed over everything, right? Um, speaking of Homecoming, I'm going to get to my first big take here. The MCU adaptation of campy comic book villains. They did it in a great way in Homecoming. I love how they modernized and made the Vulture very contemporary and somebody that we could take seriously and have a lot of fun with. I think they double that, uh, double that. Mm-hmm. here. Spider-Man Far From Home with Mysterio. Mysterio is the campy comic book villain. It's the smoke bomb. Mwah-ha! You'll never catch me. He's a Scooby-Doo villain. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Straight up and down as Scooby-Doo villain. And I think that uh, what they do here, using the Stark tech, using the drone technology, using the illusionist angle in a very modern Stark way, such a great way to do it. And and then you bring in that uh, s- that second aspect of well, how could he be doing all of this? How could he be causing this much destruction? How could he be turning it around that quickly? It's not just him. He's got a whole team, an entire team behind him. And it's not just Stark employees. He's got writers, and costume designers, and acting coaches, and all these different things. So like when, when you look at these big, amazing, fantastic things happening at Mysterio's hand, there's a whole team behind it, which I love. It's like It's almost like an organization, Mysterio. And it plays off really well. And then the last thing about MCUification of these campy comic book heroes, this bombastic showman, you know, flamboyant, like, oh, I never got my due as an actor. I never got my due as a performer. And, you know, I'm crazy because of it. Like, that's so comic book campy 101. Joan Hall crushes it. Jalen Hall plays that so perfectly where you believe that he's a little nuts, but, but also very cool. And I think that it's just, such, I, I just love the contemporary adaptations of these 60s Spider-Man characters. And Mysterio really just goes over the top for me.
2: Hall absolutely crushes it in this role. I remember when he was first cast and I had hesitations, not because I didn't think he would be good, but I was like, are we going to waste an actor of the caliber of Jake Hall on a kind of one-off role? But I see why they cast him now. It makes a lot of sense. It It's his performance is, there's aspects of Nightcrawler in there. Uh, for anyone who's a fan of Hall's previous work, there's aspects of Zodiac. There's aspects of that one movie directed by Denis Villeneuve, which is called Prisoners, when he stars opposite Hugh Jackman. I really, really dig Jake Hall in this role. Um, at some times, he's a little bit generic A-list Hollywood star uh, on screen, and I see Jake Hall. Then there are other times where I see Quentin Beck and I, I point to the lines of fire all the drones now. That's straight up. But Gyllenhaal just acting his ass off and tapping into that psychotic side that we all know he has within him. So I do very much enjoy him in this role. I love the switch because um, you buy it upon rewatch, knowing that it's coming and knowing how he's going to semi-change his, his persona I looked for evidence of that persona being there from the beginning when watching this movie. And it was there. Him, he's clearly faking it upon rewatch. Enough to fool me the first time. I mean, we all knew the turn was coming, but I didn't know it was going to be so sudden. Enough to fool me the first time. This time, I kind of saw it verbatim. And that's just the sign of a, a great actor, you know, not making the turn so out of left field that it feels unwarranted. Uh, making the turn come from some place of truth. I do kind of want to qualify uh, my first talking point uh, with my second talking point because I did mention how I don't know if this movie is absolutely necessary viewing going into No Way Home, and that sounds wildly um, incorrect because of everything that this movie sets up. I mean that in the sense of I feel like if you watch the post credit scene, you'll go into No Way Home just fine if you're not looking to binge a bunch of movies beforehand. The one aspect that I will say that this could be very necessary viewing on, depending on how No Way Home uh, is executed, and I would be shocked if it's not executed this way, is that when you really boil this movie down to, you know, you get rid of all the action and all the stunts and all the characters and costumes and whatnot, this movie at its core is really about Peter learning, honing, and defining his spider sense. And I love that. There's no better villain for him to, he had the ability before, but there was no better villain for him to perfect the ability against than Mysterio. And it's the ending scene, grabs the hand, gun fires right in front of his face. Tom Holland's acting his ass off in the scene. He's shaking, he's trembling, but he's being come on Spider-Man again without saying it. And this time it's a little bit of a synonym. You know, you can't trick me anymore. Like I beat you. Like I'm the top dog now. And I love that throughout everything that's going on, all the woes in his personal life, all the stuff going on with S.H.I.E.L.D. and not wanting to be involved with Nick Fury, this movie is at its core about Peter defining his spider sense. And if that plays a big role in No Way Home, this movie becomes a lot more essential. But from a storyline perspective, with everything going on, I feel like Homecoming is the one I would rewatch over... This going into No Way Home.
0: I couldn't agree more. It's kind of my second talking point too. So good on us. Um, I think what makes Homecoming special is that the lesson of great power, great responsibility, is so embedded into the plot. Where this, it's a little more of an a pop like a little more of a clear a plot, b plot. Whereas in Homecoming, it meshed so well together that it was almost like a blurred line. Shout out, Robin Thick. Um, <laughs> the evolution of Spider Man. Um, specifically in the MCU, is um such an quick side note. Are you old enough to know that the blurred line performance at the MTV uh, Video Music Awards was the beginning of this Miley
2: Cyrus? Yeah, when she had like the the cat and everything, and like the blonde hair and the short blonde the, hair
0: that she came up with short blonde hair, cat ears, and the nude skin suit, and like mm. started grinding on Robin Thicke on stage, and it was like. What the hell happened to Miley Cyrus? Here we are. Um, Mm -hmm. Wow, that was our pop culture side note. I love (laughs) how they're treating Spider-Man in the MCU. We'll talk about it more with Tim Geddes later. What? Um, And, um, you know, I've talked about it before, but, like, this isn't final stage Spider-Man. This isn't Spider-Man going up against Green Goblin in a fisticuffs fight in movie one. It it isn't, you know, this is so Peter Parker learning how to become Spider-Man so slowly. The first movie was him wanting to be an Avenger, him wanting to learn how to be that level of superhero. He just wasn't yet. And that was the lesson in the movie. It's okay that you're not that level of superhero yet. Infinity War, Endgame happens, we get that transition into that level of superhero trial by fire, right? This is Avengers Spider-Man. You know, this is him as an Avenger navigating that. And, you know, like having a little bit of regret, like, man, I miss my neighborhood vibe a little bit more. You know what I mean? You know, this responsibility from a volume standpoint isn't what I was expecting. And I think that um, you nailed it with this. This is all about honing your spider sense because that's your biggest power. Like, you know, obviously the suit is great and your skills, web slinging and your smarts and all that stuff is great. But your spider sense makes you the greatest superhero of all time you know and and cable says that in a comic like i can't believe this peter parker kid goes on to be the world's greatest superhero and it's because of his spider sense because his ability to hone that and i love how they have evolved this from hero in training to hero really honing in his skill to this next movie is going to be okay you got to use you got to use all your stuff now and and you know you're going to have to lose to win And I think they did a great evolution of that here in the MCU, but also you got to think about it. They couldn't do the green goblin storyline. They couldn't do Doc Ock. They couldn't do lizard. They couldn't do electro or Harry Osborn or Norman Osborn or Mary Jane or uncle Ben dying. We got five movies of that already. The McGuire trilogy, the Garfield trilogy. People don't understand that with this Spider-Man in the MCU, it's not just the challenge of embedding this character into an established universe. It's doing it without revamping any of the stories we've already seen because we got five movies already. It's, it's, it's a combination of being fresh, but also wanting to do the original, but you gotta be new, but people want the old stuff because that's what defines Spider-Man that Peter Tingle moment. Like that is, that is new and fresh and just an amazing way to close your eyes and go kick some ass. And, and it's just such a, I, I applaud them for it because it's so unexpected to get something that I've never seen before when I've had six movies with a character, you know what I'm saying? And I just love how they've evolved him one more step from as a superhero. This time, last time it was about Peter Parker wanting to be a superhero. Now it's about Spider-Man being that superhero. And I think it's a great way to go into no way home.
2: I can't agree more. Um, honestly, like it's, it's, a proper second step in what they set up in Homecoming while also giving it, as you mentioned, a a fresh layer. And a lot of that too, is also the setting. Like this is our first time Spider-Man's kind of out of New York and we go to Europe and it's made us all hungry to go back to New York which I find very funny because we've had six movies in New York and we just can't wait to get back. But it was for, even even if the execution, in my opinion uh, wasn't as strong as it could be, I applaud this movie for going in a fresh direction, because it could have been very easy to set this in NYC. And then it would have made No Way Home a little less special because we talked about everything we're excited about going on in No Way Home. One of the top of the things at my list is just to be back in kind of the unproclaimed capital city of the MCU, which is NYC, hosted so many huge battles. And to have it once again be established as Spidey's stomping grounds, I can't wait.
0: Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Liam, I want to hear your last take.
2: My final take, and I have a couple, and they're kind of bigger picture thoughts, so they wouldn't necessarily go into honorable mentions. The one that I will go with at the end of the day is, oh, one of the best kisses in the MCU, um, because it's so awkward and it's so teenagers in high school and it's perfect and the whole relationship with zendaya one of the things i didn't really care for in this movie was the first movie very much set up zendaya mj to be the outsider she's she has no friends. she sits alone she's calls people like losers she goes she goes to detention just to pass time her kind of being like the the girl that everyone on the trip wants all of a sudden uh at least come in with uh brad thought that was odd i thought that that kind of took her character in a different direction that she didn't necessarily need to go in and uh it made me root for her and peter's relationship a little bit more but for a different reason uh kind of gave me a little bit of a a curse and dunst vibe uh in terms of mary jane of not being true to the character that was set up mary jane in the original spider-man trilogy goes in like eight different directions i felt like they kind of took this iteration of mj michelle off in a different path not as consistent as say uh gwen stacy in the tasm movies in my opinion at least uh but i still appreciate the the romance angle that they're going for here because it is so different and unique and peter wants to just give her the necklace and nick fury's in his ear telling him he's got to do this and that and the spider-man reveal oh you're spider-man i was only 70 percent sure whoa are you serious right now thought it was great. And uh, I am very, very looking forward to seeing how they flesh it out in No Way Home because that relationship between the two, I, here's a fun fact for you. I did not see Guardians Volume 2 before Infinity War. What? Can you believe that? Um, I didn't feel like I missed out too much, but I thought upon watching that movie afterwards, the Peter and Gamora relationship, hits oh. a lot harder after watching Guardians 2. This movie, I think No Way Home, the Peter and MJ relationship is going to hit very hard because of what was set up in Far From Home.
0: Guardians 2, top 10 MCU movie.
2: Um, Jesus Christ. It's a new new take I have.
0: Um, Oh, no. We we watched the Amazing Spider-Man movies, both of them, right? Yeah. What was the best part of that movie? Those movies. Oh, Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield. Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield. I... At, during this rewatch, having not seen Far From Home in a long time, I didn't think that we could ever. That was the big Tasm has this over everything else. Is that that chemistry, that relationship is unmatched. It's not the same at all, Peter and MJ here in Far From Home. It's not the same as uh, Toby and uh, Andrew Garfield and Miss Stone. That is, you know, that's that's passion. That's you know, romance. That's sex. It's 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 it's, it's you know, really. But like you know, that is a you know, you know, a physical chemistry that they have, you know what I mean? Like they, uh, it's hot. Yeah. No, but like, really, like I'm not even trying to be like a joke. Like that is a different kind of chemistry than here. Yeah. This is 216 year olds in love, man. Like a thousand percent, 216 year olds in love. They don't know how to say it to each other and it's awkward and it's stumbly. And MJ even has those moments of, you know, like, when Peter's like, so were you just watching me? Cause uh, you thought I was Spider-Man and we know MJ, that's not the case. MJ likes him. She can't say it either. Cause she's nervous and scared because they're 16. And I think they nail that so perfectly. It's one of the best child relationships I've seen on screen ever. And I love it so much. I'm not saying it's better than Andrew and Emma, but I think it's as good for so many different reasons. You know what I'm saying? Like, like couldn't be more opposite, but I think they crush it. And I think it's the core of this movie is, you know, we talked about it with Homecoming. You know, the big hurdle that Peter Parker needed to get over was, you know, he just wanted to impress Tony Stark. It wasn't the world that was ending. It wasn't anything he wanted to impress Tony Stark, but at the same time, he really wanted to go to Liz's party. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, those are the two things. This one, all he wants to do is tell MJ he likes her. And that's all the stakes you need because you feel it because we've been 16 and we had that boy or girl in front of us that we wanted to say that we like you, but we couldn't. And we can't because it's awkward. And, you know, I don't know how to do this yet. You know, I gave you a 50-50 shot, man. You're kind of awkward. Um, and I think that's just – I think they absolutely crushed that. It's like we talked about with Hawkeye. They were going for that, and they nailed that. So that's a pretty awesome thing. Let's go into our favorite moments. I talked about the high schoolness um, to kind of mirror the MJ-Peter uh, awkwardness. The whole bit with Ned and Betty. <laughs> Love it, dude. We all know those friends who started dating a girl or started dating a guy. And then three days later, it's like, no, no, no. We're deeply, passionately in love. (laughs) We're going to share dessert. And like, you know, they have a key to my house (laughs) and all these things only to over the exact same flight. Oh, no, no, no. We broke up. (laughs) We broke up. But, you know, I learned a lot. (laughs) I learned a lot from this relationship. I love it. Ned crushes it. And uh, the actress who plays Betty is getting better and better as she goes
2: one of my friends is listening right now and I'm not going to say his name because saying no saying his name would give away the mutual friend we have who is just like that. But you know who you are, you know, you're listening right now and I know we're both thinking of the same person and I'm excited for you to text me when you hear this. Um, My other favorite moment, uh, Mysterio, the hallway stuff, uh, not even the hallway stuff, the drone sequence of everything going down. Oh my God. The, the spider that's crawling and then the spider eyes turn into Mysterio fishbowl helmets, and then the moon in the background turns into a Mysterio fishbowl helmet. The amount they packed into this scene, or kind of two of them, the second one is a lot like less going on. Genius. Awesome. I don't even know how you storyboard that. Like I have nothing but praise to give John Watts and the entire creative team that came up with that because they crammed Peter's entire life as spider-man as well as just about every single demon he has into this one two minute cgi fest scene that felt perfect and you're you can overlook the cgi you know why because in the context of the movie it is cgi it's projector screens it's awesome and it's uh it's not in my top 10 mcu scenes but it is for a lot of people and i'll never fight anyone on it because it definitely deserves to be.
0: 100%. It goes back to my first point of taking something so comic booky and so absolutely ridiculous and making it make sense in this very grounded world. I dig it. Um, I need to, uh, while we're talking about Mysterio, we didn't really talk about the reveal in the bar. But um, I liken it to when he opens the door and Michael Keaton's standing there as Liz's dad. Like, like in the first movie, like, gasp in the theaters. Like, <gasps> Yeah, we sat with that silence a little bit there. Yeah, yeah, well, nice podcasting. Um, but um, you know, that was the gasp moment for people who didn't know Mysterio was a bad guy. That moment had to be nuts, dude. It had to be crazy. And and I think they captured. They 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 obviously realized the Vulture reveal in Homecoming was a pivotal moment in that movie and something that we'll talk about forever. They captured that essence here. Obviously, it wasn't as. Um, shocking because you know we as comic book people know that Mysterio is the bad guy but man I think they captured that and I just can't wait to find out what the no way home version of that's going to be
2: and I also like too that in the marketing leading up both Amy Pascal and Kevin Feige played with that they were like no we're taking Mysterio in a new direction he's going to be a hero this time very unlike cap winner soldier that's right i remember the 2014 marketing campaign for cap winner soldier there were straight up featurettes where bucky where sebastian stands like yeah so i'm the winter soldier in this one um it's the same character uh, as i was in the first avenger and anyone who's a fan of the comics will know that but it was just funny that in the marketing he was like no so yeah the big twist that's coming for people who don't read comics like here it is three weeks before the movie yeah. comes out but far from home they're like oh no no mr Serious good. Yeah. Come on. You can trust him. Come on, oh, guys. The way Jill Hall does
0: it, that wasn't so hard, right? Like,
2: <laughs> see, that wasn't so, so hard.
0: It Somebody was, get this stupid thing off me. Such a harsh heel
2: turn. And it was great. I think it was perfect. Really. It's so good. Yeah. I, I mean, that that kind of does it. And that's not to say that I don't have other favorite moments, but not ones that stick out as singular sure. entities, per se. I got two more.
0: First time I watched this movie, the entire movie, I couldn't help but think, man, Nick Fury and Maria Hill are acting weird hmm. and, and, and they're acting different and they're kind of stupid for getting duped by this guy is knowing what we know about them. There's no way Nick Fury, all this, and when they would get revealed as scrolls at the end, Liam, it's such a good payoff. Such a good payoff for some meta shit throughout the movie. Like, yeah, they're going to be a little off and they were and we know why and it's great and also, they're everywhere mm. they are everywhere secret invasion coming 2022 um and the last one i have is parker luck this was such a great way to do parker luck where it wasn't Tommy mcguire literally getting kicked in the face for um, <laughs> dropping a calculator like this was so <laughs> subtle parker luck i think nick fury just hijacked our summer vacation he can't catch a goddamn break and i love how they did it in this movie and i like this i i, I really do uh, think that this movie i think it's hindered by the fact that it had to come after endgame because it had certain things it needed to hit but if any hero if any character can overcome that hurdle it's spider-man no one else could have had the epilogue movie to the infinity saga but spider-man and it's just i think it's such such great transition, such a great transition ending the infinity saga launching off the multiverse saga and here we are Days away from Spider-Man: No Way no. Home, where that will be our next Spider-Man review. Liam, to end this amazing eight-movie run, Spider-Man: No Way Home coming to your podcast feeds December 17th. We will see you there. Ladies and gentlemen, that was your top news. That was a quick question about Daredevil. It was a Hawkeye review. It was an interview with for who plays Casie and Hawkeye, and that was Spider-Man: Far From Home review. <laughs> And that was an episode. We cannot thank you enough for hanging with us. Just a reminder, next week, the weekly episode will drop on December 15th, while the Spider-Man No Way Home review will drop on December 17th. Liam, this is usually where I ask you if you have a weekly recommendation for the people to send them off um, on a non-comic book journey when they want to take a break from the fandom. That is the direct podcast. But we're going to do something a little different this week. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We're going to do something just a tad different. In Hawkeye, they had a Christmas movie marathon. So I want to know: Can we build a quick list? Of your favorite Christmas movies off the top. What is your number one? Polar Express. It's the one that Polar came
2: Express. to mind immediately. First movie I ever saw in theaters. Period. Not first kids movie. Not first holiday movie. First movie I ever saw in theaters. Two thousand five, I believe. Um, do the graphics hold up? Absolutely not. It is PlayStation Two cutscenes galore. However, the story. Ah, oh, so heartwarming. Wishing on a star. And trying to believe, like when that little kid sings a song and they're on the ice and everything. Ah, it's beautiful. It's a, it's a heartwarming movie. It makes me feel like a kid again, because I remember drinking hot cocoa out of Dixie cups in my pajamas in third grade on the last day before we go home for winter break. And yeah, it makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside.
0: Nice. I, uh, that was my favorite book growing up. Yeah. There you go. Uh, my number one off the top, it's going to be Christmas vacation, Chevy chase. Uh, it's, Perfect. Uh, Metakalikilaka again. Um, and it's just when when he looks at the kids and he says, hey, I heard that, uh, heard that Santa's flying over New York and he'll be in uh, Chicago here in a couple hours. And Uncle Ed looks at him and goes, are you serious, Clark? I fall to the ground laughing every single time. It's great. Christmas vacation, that's my uh, number one on the list.
2: I'll go elf. I know it's basic, but Perfect. the first time I saw it, I was in tears laughing. Um, It it introduced me to Will Ferrell, if you can believe that. And I remember being in middle school, watching the FX PG-13 versions of like Talladega Nights, Step Brothers, um, Anchorman, like all these hysterically funny movies that only became funnier once I was eventually able to get my hands on the R-rated cut. But Elf is fantastic. It's an absolute classic. Uh, And people who bash it just because it's always at the top of the lists, rewatch it. It's so good.
0: It's perfect. It's a perfect Christmas movie. It's silly, but awesome. Zoe Deschanel, fantastic in it. Ah. And low-key, one of my favorite renditions of It's Cold Outside. When, yeah. when they're in the bathroom singing it together. I think it's so funny and so great. And Zoe Deschanel is a delight. Um, thank you for saying that, because now I get to say a Christmas story. It's a family tradition of mine, obviously. We're all sick of it, because it's on TBS 24 hours a day on Christmas Day. But that movie is, I think, just i i think of my grandfather i think of my dad i think of my brother i think of my family when i think of that movie because like i'm not kidding there's 75 of us at our family christmas and we will all sit there and quote the christmas story for hours and hours and some men are protestants some men are catholics my father was an oldsmobile man
2: and it's one of the greatest lines (laughs) in movie history i love that um yeah i love a christmas story it's a classic that was one that was like shown to me by, by my uncles too um yeah. which i very much appreciate uh it being like a a passed down movie yeah. because it makes it feel more special um that brown and indiana yeah there we go there how about go. that um other movies because I, we've got the big ones out of the way oh my god are you kidding me I well, so many other ones, Rudolph. Obviously, I, I love yeah. Rudolph. It's like I'll always like go back to that movie, and that I know that's another one that makes me feel like a little kid for all the the same yeah. reasons.
0: Yeah, um, I'm gonna close it off. Home Alone, Home Alone's one of the best comedies ever made. Um, it's it's awesome. Home Alone 2, also great, and I know I'm shouting online So, in Home Alone 2, when when um. Joe Pesci and the other guy, the Sticky Bandits. What are their names? Uh, Marv. Bandits. Yeah, the Wet Bandits and then the Sticky Bandits. Uh, yeah. Marv and uh, Ralph or whatever. Harry. Um, Harry. Yeah, Harry and Marv. And they're on the uh, the seesaw thing. And, and Harry comes there. Uh, Marv comes down and launches Joe Pesci across the street into a pile of trash cans. And he's sitting there just uh, just <laughs> dead. And Marv runs up. And he goes, oh, Harry, you Okay twist the my ankle on that board. <laughs> I just got hurled 30 yards across
1: the street. So. The, uh,
2: the, the second one when he's throwing bricks down at them for whatever reason, when I like, that's just dumb prop humor. But when I was a kid, I remember crying, laughing, and not being able to breathe how, how hysterical I was. Um, that, those are your last ones?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, a list of six. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, those are, damn, those are well, the direct podcast topic. What's one of yours? Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3. In awesome. <laughs> Hawkeye. Hawkeye is yeah. really good. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, guys, thank you so much. Happy holidays to everybody listening. And, guys, in one week, we will be watching Spider Man No Way Home. Thank you for coming along with us on this ride. Peace. Let's go.
2: It's the most beautiful time of the year Lights feel the streets spreading so much cheer I should be playing in the winter snow But I'ma be under the mistletoe I don't want to miss out on the holiday But I can't stop staring at your face I should be playing in the winter snow But I'ma be under the mistletoe With you, shorty with you Gathering around the fire Chestnuts roasting like, like a hot gelar I should be chilling with my folks, I know But I'ma be under the mistletoe Word on the streets and it's coming night. Reindeer is flying through the sky so high I should be making a list, I know but I'ma be under the mistletoe <laughs> Oh my god, um, quick side note uh, TikTok trend going on right now is people go up to people in like supermarkets and they just pretend like they're NPCs in a video game and it's hilarious like I would walk by you and I would go I saw three cloaked men walking east I wonder what they could be up to and it would just say above it in text <laughs> side quest opportunity <laughs> like the Pokemon thing That's yeah. so funny. <laughs> or like I think of like Batman Arkham Knight when it's like I saw a man bat flying over east heard he might be robbing a bank <laughs>
0: uh there's a there's i don't know what they're called but when you get pokemon on your phone like game boy games on your phone mm-hmm. simulators emulators sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Simulators. so there's these pokemon games that are like the games from when we were growing up but they've changed the story they've changed you know all these different things and like the funny one of them that i've played before the npcs all have like really fucked up backstories <laughs> Like you know, my, my wife pretended to blow out. You know, we had a real, we had a fake funeral and everything. Well, funeral was real. She just wasn't dead. <laughs> like all the NPCs have those kinds of stories, and it's really funny. In Pokemon, yeah, well, yeah, it's it's like a hacked game. Like, oh, okay, It's, okay. it's, yeah, it's yeah. a Pokemon game, but somebody else went and filled in a different story, mm-hmm. different, you know, plot and all that different stuff. I see. It's fun. It's dope. That shit. Um, all right, Hawkeye. Here we go.